Well, good morning, Olive Ranch. It's not that good, is it? <laughs> good morning. Was, um, last, uh, last week, we had 21 people baptized in the four services. Isn't that exciting? This week, we've got VBS going. You have all these students, and a lot of you guys are volunteering, and that's also exciting. There's so many good things. The reason I bring these up right now is because God is blessing the church with, with some growth. And in order to continue to make sure that we're, um, we're being the proper stewards and also good shepherds over the church, we, we had opened to, to bring more men onto our elder team. And so we went through a process of examining the men of the church and looking at who was kind of fulfilling those qualities of eldership and examining those men. We then kind of assembled the giant list and chopped them down to a few, invited a few, and it's come down to the two that we presented to you two weeks ago, and uh, apparently you guys have nothing against them and no yucky stories or bad stuff, and so uh, we were able to talk to them further, and they have uh, both uh, agreed to uh, step onto the elder team, and so I want to present to you Roger Yoho and Bill Meister right here, would you... These are our two of your, uh, the rest of the elders up here. We're, we're excited to have them at the elder table. They think they're excited too. They haven't been at an elders meeting yet. Uh, I'm just kidding. No, but it is, it is an honor to have them join the team. And I hope that you feel honored that they would serve you in this way. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray over them and, and technically do what we call install them onto the team. And so asking God's blessing upon their lives so that we can, uh, um, so they have the full uh, weight and authority that we give to the elders here at Olive Branch and keeping us accountable toward our mission. So would you bow your heads with me? God in heaven, thank you for these men. And we know that your spirit is upon them and have blessed them in great ways. And Lord, with who you've made them to be and the gifts that you've given to them, we pray that they would add great um, insight, wisdom, and abilities to the team that we do have currently. We pray that you would just allow their minds to be open with the wisdom needed for the decisions that have to be made. That you give them hearts that, that hurt and long for this church and the people in this church. And God, give them hands to continue to serve in the way that they do. So that you, Lord, are glorified and that um, we are served well. Ask that you would just allow the unity of this team to be strong so that the unity amongst the congregation would grow as well. And we praise you for these men and we thank you for this congregation that have, that have uh, been enabled these men to grow here. And we ask that you would be exalted in all of these things. And we, um, we thank you that they are on this team with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. All right. In the meantime, what we are up to now is we are jumping into the, the end of this series here called Spiritual Security. We have, through the last day, year and a half or so, been working in the book of Romans, and this has been one of our series in that book. We've been examining some different things on spiritual security, and it's um, kind of interesting for me. This kind of landed home with me. Um, yesterday, we moved houses. We went from the house we were in to, to our new house, and last night, my wife and I fell asleep, and my body's sore, and I feel old. But the uh, it's kind of this whole ex- giant moving situation, fell asleep at our house, and I'm thinking, this is kind of cool. This place doesn't feel like ours. It feels like we're at a hotel. This is different. This is weird. Got up in the morning, and I, my kids are already playing. It's like in the play, in the play area. It's like 5.30 in the morning. I'm like, what are you guys doing up? And Nate's like, oh, I went outside. and did. I'm like, okay. So I go downstairs, go outside where I'm going to go, and right in front of me is my car with the trunk open, and I'm thinking, Nate, what'd you get in my trunk for? And then I realized, wait a minute. The paintball gun that was in the back of my car is gone. The change in my coin thing is gone. I'm like, 
welcome to the neighborhood, right? And it's like, this is, but here's what's awesome irony about this. I've been trying to sell and get rid of that paintball gun for years. That guy did me a favor, you know, enjoy pawning that thing off. I didn't have any luck with it. But anyway, it's just kind of one of those things. When you ever been robbed, anybody here ever been like robbed or, or had your car broken into? It is one of those things. It's just kind of a subtle fear tries to creep in. You're starting to think about, should I put something on my doors? Should I, you know, I got to make sure this, this, this. I was always told my car will never be stolen. It's not worth a can of beans, but the, uh, but I'm okay with everything else. And so it was just, it was, it was just kind of one of those things that God said, aha, I'm going to wake you up this morning and you're going to have to preach this from living it. Because fear wants to grab your heart. But what have we learned in this series? We've been learning that it's not what you walk, it's not what you walk with through life. It's who you walk with through life that makes you secure. You can have all the security stuff in the world. You can have all the gadgets. You can be spy, gear, spy geared up and you will be no more secure because the security that we are all searching for and that we need is actually a security that comes from within. A security where we belong. A security where we are sure. A security of strength. And that's what we've been examining because God has given us a spirit. And he's given us that spirit so that we can be secure. But not just to be secure for the sake of it. But so that we can be secure in what God's called us to do. See, here at Olive Branch, our mission statement is to change everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. And a passionate Christ follower has been an intentional word because we take that word passion, we don't just mean emotional and excited. And yeah, I can get that way, we can get that way. But passion is based on the term that, as Jesus used it, it's called his passion when he went to the cross. And the reason why it's called his passion is because he knew what God had called him to do. And no matter what the cost, and what the expense to himself, he was willing to do it. That's a passion. When you know what you're called to and you do it. And it doesn't matter the cost that it's going to take for you to get there. That's a passion. A willingness to continue on to achieve your calling. And here at the church, what I hope and I really, my passion is to see you find your passion. To, what God has, to know what God has called you to do so that you are, and then you are doing it. And we are doing it in a fearless manner. And it's important to me. It has to be in a fearless way. It has to be in a way where we aren't considered, concerned with all kinds of things that could slow us down. Because right now, our nation is not necessarily pro-Christianity, if you were to look at it. I mean, there are places, and don't get me wrong, there are parties that are going to be more pro in some areas than others. But in general, if you're just watching a general swath of, of our culture right now, and you're kind of reading the general magazines and the looks of things, you know... There are some Christians they're cool with. But when it comes to the real strong Christians who are committed to the Bible, we're bigots. When it comes to the Christians who are really committed to the Bible, oh, we're fanatics on the level of terrorists. When you're really committed to Jesus and you're really out to love people like Jesus loved people and you care about it, well, you're marginalized and you're put as just kind of these people who believe in old mythologies or whatnot, according to the universities. And just there's plenty of information out there that just kind of says there's a different culture towards Christianity than has ever existed before. And what I'm, what I'm most scared or concerned, nervous about is to watch the young, my generation, the younger generation, see that we're offending people and we're backing off the truths of Scripture. And I've watched it step by step. Oh, we're, we're in compromises. Oh, we don't have to worry about that. Oh, no, this is not a big deal. And, 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 and so really, all it is is we're afraid that we're offending people. And that's what I hear. Well, you know, they don't all this stuff about we need to this and that and that's old half-ashened and... Uh, Here's why I'm nervous about it. Because the gospel is the most offensive thing when truly preached. 
To tell somebody they're a sinner, to tell them that they're going to hell is offensive and scary. And if we're going to back off things that are offensive, we're going to wind up backing off the gospel entirely. That was already tried in the 1900s, in the late 1900s, or early 1900s. Let's not do it again. We need to be fearless in our callings. We need to know what God has called us to do. We need to live it. We need to do it. But we need to do it understanding that we don't have to be afraid. And that's exactly what this spiritual security series is about. There's nothing in your life that you should be so afraid of that it should stop you from living out what God has called you to do. Check it out with me. Go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to conclude this chapter in this series here. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. And we're going to start moving ourselves through this, set, this section. It's almost like a song many of the, um, many of the commentators talk about this. And it's, it's a triumphal vision of life. And it's a triumphal vision of backbone in the Christian church. I love this. We'll just read a few of the lines as we begin. If you need a Bible, there are Bibles under the seats. You can join us, page 944. And if you're not a Christian this, uh, and you're here this morning, I just want you to hear this is, this is not something that we're all like pumped up and motivated about because we're, uh, we're just pie-in-the-sky people. We really do believe that God is with us, that God is for, for us in a very real way, and that he has called us to a very real living, and that we're not just pointless things floating through the universe, but God has purpose and direction for our lives. And so when we dive into this, we get this. What then shall we say to these things, Paul writes? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. We'll get into this more deeply as we get moving. But I want to start here that really what God is saying is, and Paul is, Paul is stating, is that, hey, guys, we have all this information that's led up to this point here. And we have this calling given to us as Christians. We have this calling given to us as forgiven people of God who have been brought to know him and walk with him. And that calling comes, does not come with a phone ring. It comes instead through Jesus Christ. That was awesome. Great timing. So... Please silence your phone, cell phones. Anyway, and the point is simply that he has given us this calling that we should discover, know, and live out. And it's found, as we've, we laid out, you can go back to our Vision Sunday this year and, and hear that as it's discovered through the process of understanding, knowing God, and growing in your relationship with him. But what we come to is this, that Paul, has been, that Paul is calling us to live our calling fearlessly for him. He says it this way, because God is with us, we should be able to do this. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's been building on this since chapter 3. Way, way back, if you can remember with me in chapter 3. He has just finished saying all of humanity, every human being that's ever existed and never will exist, has been mired and messed up in sin, save Jesus Christ. And it is through trusting in Jesus Christ that the stain of sin is erased. And it must be a trust. It must be faith, as he puts it. When you have faith in Christ, the, the judgment of God is removed so that you have peace with him. And you have a relationship with him. So no longer do you have to worry about um, running after sin. Sin doesn't have to dominate your life. You're not living in that direction anymore. You're living after God. You're living with him and for him and by him. And it's not by some law. There's not some set of rules. You must do this. You must have required time. You must pray this many times. All this stuff. That's not what it's up to. So it's a relationship. Because all the law does is provoke your heart to sin or condemn you because you failed. But there's no condemnation. You have this relationship with God. And in that, he's given you new life. He's given you a life in which you are promised a resurrection beyond death. 
And so you don't fear death. You don't fear these things that most of the common people in the world would fear because it's natural to fear death. It's natural to fear suffering. It's natural to fear these things. But God is with you. He's for you. In fact, he's so for you. He's given you the spirit of God to fight sin, his very presence and relationship. He's given you the spirit of God to show you you belong in adoption. He's given you the spirit of God to give you a down payment of the future hope so that when you're in suffering, you know this is only temporary. And he's given you that spirit of God to show you that everything in life is worthwhile because nothing is wasted at all for the Christian will turn out to the good. That's a heck of a package. Paul summarizes that package in Ephesians chapter 2, if you ever want to go there and look at verses 1 through 10. But he culminates that section with this verse. He says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He says, you know, all things are turning out to the good. You should be on board with what he's doing. In fact, that's what the rest of Romans is going to kind of lay out, is this idea of walking and living out the faith that you have, that he has prepared for you a calling. He's prepared for you good works. And that means that some of us are called, you, some of you guys are called to minister to young men and women in children's ministry and youth ministry. Some of you are called to make tons of money and give tons of money away. Some of you are called to the foreign nations to get over there and get the gospel to people who otherwise won't hear it if we don't go. All of us are called to something. And we get the opportunity that God has set it up to where when we walk in them, we can't fail. We're walking in his will. We're walking according to the good works that he set up beforehand. And I really think that these come together at this point. Because this is a philosophy. No other philosophy offers this. No other philosophy offers a full pardon with God over sin. And then his presence. And then a motivation. And then a drive. And a purpose. And a resurrection beyond life. As a gift. Without work. And so it's no wonder he says... Guys, what should we say to these things that I've just mentioned? If God is for you like this, who can be against you? If God is for you when you are sinning, who can be against you because he gave you his son? If God is for you when you're messing up now because he's sanctifying you and turning it all to good, who can be against you? If God is for you even when you've died and he's going to resurrect you from the dead, who can stand against you? If God is, is for you does not mean, you know, I'm going to go over here and make a $7 billion for myself. He's like, endorsed. Yes. This isn't God assigning onto our idea of life. This is God being so for us. He gives us a new way of life. And as we walk in, he's backing us up like when your dad would go with you because you're going to go face the bully. Anybody ever do that thing kind of a thing? You ever seen that? You ever gone somewhere with your dad, whether it's a baseball game, you're like, my dad's got my back. You're just like, you're ready. If you've got somebody who's got your back, you're willing to stand up to things alone you would never stand up to. There's a power in a sense where God is standing with you. How much is he standing with us? How much has he got our back? Notice verse 32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. I have three sons. I'm not willing to part with any of them I'm for you. I'm sorry. I love you guys. Even though I'd have two left over, it, it's just not going to work. But God, who had his one and only son, loved us so much that he was willing to give us his son. So that Jesus could suffer to bear our sins, our mistakes, our blemishes, our foolishness, our bad choices, our evils that we have done. And the punishment that was rightly belonging on us. Jesus got in the way and God was willing to let him do so. Man, that's a lot of love. 
That's a lot of getting your back. He gave his son for us so that I believe that he, he, what will he not spare us? Notice what it says right after he says this. He says he gave us his son. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In Matthew, I believe Jesus put it in this way. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Speaking of all these trials and struggles and anxieties of life. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to go? What am I? He says, look, seek the kingdom first. Seek my will. Seek the good works I want you to do. Seek out those things. I'll add the rest to you. Why? Because God is for you. Who can be against you? If he's willing to give you his son, how much more is he willing to give you all good things with him? When you're running after Christ, you're running after what he's called you to, when you're being a passionate Christ follower, it changes the way that you pray. See, most of us, do we don't get deep into prayer. We're not really diving into prayer. And here's the honest truth, because we don't see answers to our prayer. Can I be honest? We pray just enough times we're like, I don't have to get an answer. Most of the time it's because we don't know what we're called to that we don't pray correctly. If you don't know where you're aimed at, you don't know what you're called to, and you're praying, you're praying all this, like, God bless them and the whole world, may there be peace. And, you know, just kind of like, I'm going to generalize the whole prayer list and go, God bless this thing, I don't know what it's about. And we're just going to push it aside. And that's what we're doing with our life, God bless this life. And we're not being specific. And God's going, I want to answer your prayers, but I'm going to answer them according to the kingdom of God, to the direction I'm going in. And God wants to lay these things into us so that when we start praying, what happens is when we're praying in the kingdom of God, when we're praying for what God has aimed us at, answers start showing up. Boom, 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 boom. And that starts deepening your prayer life. And suddenly you're sitting there going, gosh, if he answers that, I'm willing to ask for something else. I'm willing to ask for that door to open. If you're trying to fight off the sexual slave trafficking of this world, and you're looking around, you're going, God, open this door. And he wants that ended. That door is going to fly open as long as you're willing to walk through it. You're going to fight to reach that unreached people group. You're sitting on your knees and you're begging for it. And we see that suddenly in Mozambique, the doors go boom, wide open because God has aimed for the gospel to go there because we're praying in his will. We're praying in his direction. We're praying in the kingdom of God. And we should expect that God's not up there being stingy. He's not up there going, no, I don't want to give you nothing. Dads, I mean, I talk to the dads because I find most of the time it's the dads who have a tendency to buy the really extravagant gifts. Because it's kind of that thing when you're married, you got ladies, you know, you buy a lot of little things and over time it adds up to one big thing and men go out and buy the one big thing and then they get yelled at, right? It's kind of like, what'd you buy the big giant TV for? Uh, well, you know, $2,000 TV, but you add up all your makeup and stuff. It's like $2,000 over time. You know that kind of thing? Okay, there you go. Now you got it. Just adds up over time. That's all there is to it. I found that dads with birthday, pre- birthday presents and Christmas presents, they're like, and this may not be true for all, so it's a generalization, I know. But it's like the dad who's, the mom's like, oh, look, I got you the, the, your favorite video game. Dad's like, I got you the whole system. And mom's like, oh, I'm farting this. Don't worry about it. I get to play with it too. Because that's what dads are thinking. And God's up in heaven. He's not, some st- he didn't, he's not some stingy man going, you can't have that. He's going, I gave you my son. I gave you the whole system. Why wouldn't I give you the plug-in and play and all the other stuff that goes with it? Why aren't you asking me? Because I'm waiting up here. Now, he's not like, I want a Ferrari. Okay, that's not what is going on. It's according to where he's taking you. It's according to the calling so that you see these good works line up and God's using you. How much more, how, I just, it blows my mind. How great would it be to live a life that when you look back, you go, God, I can't believe you used me like that. 
And it's because he sent you in a direction, you prayed, and he opened door after door after door after door. That may be as simple as you being a great Sunday school teacher, and you've been praying over those kids because you would love to see the next Billy Graham come out of your Sunday school class. And one day that kid starts evangelizing thousands and thousands of people, and you walk away going, God, thank you for letting me be part of that. That's a passion as much as I want to change and stop all poverty kind of stuff. Don't think passions are small. They're great. They're powerful. When they're prayed for, God is before you. He's given you his son. How much more will he give you all things? We're really bold and brave in many of these cases. I want to just give you one example. I was driving with my son, Jonathan, a few months ago, getting off at the 15. There was a guy standing there with a sign asking for money. Uh, and he can't read. And I think his even said something like, to be honest, it's for booze or something like that. I don't know what it was. But I was kind of like, I, I think I know this guy from way back when we were doing some of the ministry stuff with him. And said, I was going to my heart. I'm not really going to give him anything. Jonathan goes, we need to give him money. We need to give him something. He needs help. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Turn to my son and say, son, I want to give you a jaded perspective of life. Uh, no, I reached into my wallet as an example and gave him the money. That wasn't very much, but at least my son was like, okay, dad gave, you know, we gave money. He still tells the story. Yeah, I gave money. I gave money to that guy. I'm going to be rich one day so I can give away money. I'm, oh, that's awesome. The only thing is he's really bold when it was my money. <laughs> I give away all dad's money. It's awesome. It's all dad's money. Your giftedness was given to you by your dad to be used in the church. It's all dad's money. Your presence here on earth is because it's given to you by your dad to be used, to be given away to other people to care about them. Your your salvation is given to you by your dad so you can be used to give it away to other people. Everything that we get to do is it's all dad's. What are we sitting around wasting our time for when God has given you his son? Will he not give you everything else? As you walk in his kingdom, he gives you everything you need. He's going to fill it all in. He's going to give you a direction. He's going to answer your prayers. And he doesn't care that it's all his. He gave it to you to give it away, to make an impact, to make a difference. Be fearless. Just giving dad's money away. And don't be worried and don't be scared, but be fearless against man's judgment as you live out God's calling. Why? Because look what he says. He says, who's going to condemn? Or who shall, verse, verse 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's speaking Christians. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus the only, is, is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. What are we worried about men's judgment for? The world out there can judge. They really can. They can call us bigots. They can call us homophobes. They can call us all kinds of stuff. And you know what? They are going to criticize, and they're going to put us in labels, and they're going to shut us down, and they're going to do stuff like that. It's promised to us in Scripture that we're going to be persecuted. It's not a question of whether they will or not. It's just when. Now, that's interesting. But there is a difference between just criticism of the world and judgment of the world and when God's trying to correct us. Let me give you an example. While I do not believe that Christians are homophobes, 
I do believe we've had very strong wrong language towards them. I've heard pastors use what I, I would have put on the level of a swear word in, in calling the homosexual community a certain term, the FAG term. It, means, it literally means a bundle of sticks to be burned on a fire. We're equating them to being worthy of being burned. I don't appreciate that for any human being. And so I don't use that kind of language. I try not to. And I believe a lot of the pushback that we hear is because of our posture, not because of our position. That our posture needs to be corrected because it's not like Jesus' posture. But we don't change our position. The position is the word of God. The position is that all sex out of, outside of marriage is sin. Period. All of it outside of marriage is sin. That's the position of the scripture. How we deliver it is our posture. And so when we receive certain kinds of criticism, I believe it's God rebuking his church to be more like Christ. And then there are other times where we receive criticism that's uncalled for. We don't have to worry about it. Who is going to condemn God's elect? He already justified us. He already made us right with him. He's already put us right. Why do we have to be afraid when Trump when they bring us in front of a court and tell us we've done certain things and lock us away? Guess who else did that? Jesus got brought before a court. And he didn't get locked away. He got killed. For what? For being a righteous man. So I want to make sure that we're clear here. When Paul talks about condemnation, he talks about the things that would condemn us literally in court. It would destroy us. There's other things that are, are there opinions that we need to take in and we need to change. I think the same thing is true because who can condemn each other inside the church? Because guess what? There's a lot of attempt to condemn each other in here, isn't there? Let's be honest with ourselves. We're a pretty critical, judgmental group of people, the church. And there can sometimes be a group of us that want to change things. And so we use our criticisms and our influence and stuff. To, I don't like this. And we can poke and poke and poke and poke and poke, poke. Trust me, I'm a pastor. It happens. I'm one of those few professions out there that you can get your doctorate degree and you can, get, you can have 25 years of ministry and you can have been even successful. And still, you preach one sermon, somebody comes up and tells you, that's not what that means. And this is how you should do this. Okay. Cool. I'm going to go tell my doctor that, you know, that kind of a thing. But it's because, we're, it's because it's very intimate to us. Our faith is intimate to a person. And the way we do faith is intimate to us. And so I want to warn us for a second. I don't mind good criticism. Let me give you a standard by which we can criticize each other. Especially if you're talking to us and you're saying, I don't like this, I don't like that. There are two things. Number one is if we violated the word of God. Amen. If you see your brother in sin, go to him and and, and help him out. That is not something that you should be afraid of. Because what you're doing is you're saying, you want to be like your hero, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you're not being like it this way. Let's adjust. Oh, thanks for showing me. That's the response of a brother to brother. Good criticism. The second way is when you come to the church and we tell each other, hey, we're not changing everyday people into a community of passionate Christ followers. When you're able to show us that we're not hitting the target that we're aiming at, you're just making us better in a sharper arrow. But if we come without those two associations and it's our opinion and our feelings, we're just being critical. Because you know what? I'm going to step back and go, hey, God, God has, has justified all of us in this room. He's made us all right. So let's be careful with how we try to, quote, condemn each other. Let me change it to one even step further in how you talk to yourself. 
Some of you guys are very, very critical to yourself, but God has forgiven you and he's justified you, yet you call yourself stupid, ugly, dumb, good for nothing, fool, idiot, can't get anything right. And I'm sorry, but I disagree with you. And so does God. Who's so for you that he gave you his son, that he won't hold anything back to you. He's given you a purpose and a calling. He loves you greatly, and he's not even condemned you because he put it on Jesus. How dare we talk to ourselves that way? We're the forgiven children of the king of the universe. And what's beautiful about that is, yes, there are times where, we, where the spirit of God's going to come in, and he's going to say, that's not where you're supposed to go. You know, when that happens, when it's the Spirit of God, there will be power to change. There will be adjustment, and you'll know. When it's you, there will be new rules that you're going to enact, new standards that you're going to set around yourself, new laws that you're going to have to fail to because you feel dumb, and there's going to be words like that. Instead, when the Spirit of God convicts you, it comes in like a fresh wave where you suddenly, like, epiphany, light goes on, you go... Oh my gosh, I can't be doing that. Then you'll start beating yourself up and God says, no, 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 let's go this way. And it'll be aimed at your calling and it'll be directed in a new way and you don't have to fear that condemnation. God has, God has set you free and the reason I know this is because Jesus is praying for you. Look at this. He says this right here. Jesus Christ, the one who died, more than that who was raised, who was at the right hand of God. I mean, sitting right there. Hey, Dan. Hey, son. You know, that kind of a thing is going on who indeed is interceding for us. He's praying for us. He's praying. When you're persecuted, he's right there going, I went through that. God, Dad, let's do something. When we're going through suffering and poverty, I've been there. Dad, do something. You know, that kind of stuff is going on. And God is right there. He's on your side. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit with you as you go in his direction, as you follow after him. Who can condemn you? Who cares what your boss is saying? Who cares what that coworker is saying unless it's truly a conviction by the Spirit of God? Keep going. That's why we should drop the word offense in the church. There are some things that are true and they're offensive. And there are some things that are just not the right posture even though they're true. Let's change our posture. Don't drop the faith. Don't fear that God's against you and the world appears to be against you. That's what Paul's saying. He says, look guys, we need to live fearlessly. God... Loves you. He's never going to stop loving you. My boys are, are kind of wild. Yeah, my family's wild. You can ask some people who've been hanging out with us lately. You know how wild they are. So I have to discipline them a lot. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it varies. One of the things I try to do when I'm in my best mind is I try to sit them down and talk to them before we go into the discipline. And what I always want to do is I want to reiterate my love for them. And so I'll say something to the akin of this. Hey, Hey, look, Nate, I love you. You know I love you, right? And usually he's like, you know, because he's grumpy. And I say, look, I'm never going to stop loving you. Never, never. That's usually my phrase. When they were little, I say, Daddy, ever going to stop loving you? He'd say, never, never. That was what I was always looking for. Because I want to solidify in their heart that my love would never grow, never, never leave them. It would never stop. It would never end. It would never cease. And our father in heaven is sitting there and he's telling you guys, I love you. I give you my son. I give you this. I give you this. I will never stop loving you. Never, never. And and that's important because we can live fearlessly because God's love will never stop. He'll never stop loving us if we're Christians. He'll never stop. It's not like one day we do something so bad. He's like, well, I'm done with you. Hmm." 
But we need to clarify something else. God's love is not just some emotional thing that he's like, I love everybody. I love, I'm loved, so I love. <laughs> oh, look, I love you. Oh, man, I love you. That's not what God's doing. It's actually specific. His love is specific. His love is active. It is something. It's not just some emotion that goes out there. And we need to be very clear because love in an American context means <gasps> bing, 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 bing. that's all it means. I got this feeling. But God's love is very specific. It's very active. In fact, the currency of love in a fallen world is pain, suffering. I can lie to you with my words. I love you, babe, because I'm trying to get something from you. I can lie to you with my flowers. I love you, babe, because I'm trying to get something from you. I can lie to you by saying, I love you. I want you to even put a ring on. But I probably could be trying to get something. The only time... You know somebody's really, really in love with you as they're willing to sacrifice themselves for you. That's why marriage really actually does show that you love each other. Because I'm willing to give up my life for you. Not just physically, but I'm willing to bend all of my activity around you. That's how much I love you. I'm willing to suffer with you and for you. It's no wonder that God's love then cannot be defined as a feeling. It is defined as an action. And so God's love shows up as Jesus on the cross, suffering. It shows up as God dwelling with us in the spirit, suffering with us through our our problems and our struggles to make us like his son, suffering with us in our death, raising us from the dead. He is continually through the whole life being with us, revealing his love through very specific actions we call the gospel. People usually object, well, wait, 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 wait. Does that mean God doesn't love the people who don't, love, don't have the gospel? I think God loves those people. There's just something in the way of his love. It's called sin. Sin acts like a wall. God's love is coming, but sin shows up, and so it changes. Love becomes disciplinary. Love can become wrath. Just look at the junior high boy that loves the popular girl, and she thinks he's funny and doesn't like him. That love will quickly turn to wrath when it's scorned. And when God has loved you and our sin scorns that love, it turns to wrath. The only way to deal with that wrath is to have Jesus receive it so that it's removed and his love has access then to you. And so this should push us to preach the gospel, to live the gospel, to give it away because that wrath is coming. It has been scorned. The lover God who loves people has been ignored, misinterpreted, said, ah, yeah, he loves me, but I don't really know him. All that stuff has happened and his wrath is on the way. And so Jesus comes and bears it. That's love. He comes and lives with us. That's love. These are specific actions that he's given to us. And I say all this because you need to see it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, he says in verse 35. So we're not talking about his emotion. Who's going to separate you from the crucifixion? Who's going to separate you from his resurrection? Who's going to separate you from the presence of the Spirit of God? This is his love. Shall tribulation, shall your sufferings at your workplace, shall the struggles that you're going through right now with your teenager or the struggles that you're happening with your spouse going to take you away? Will distress... You know, the distress over your, over your stolen paintball gun? Well, persecution, the name calling, well, famine, because, you know, we're in a drought and there's really not any food. And we'll see about that later as the food prices go up, but no, I'm just kidding. Well, nakedness, danger, sword, don't minimize these words. They're real things for all of us. 
I would hope that there would be people in our congregation who are wondering where they're going to sleep tonight because they found a church that's willing to accept them even though they're living in their car. And they can hear that God loves them. And that we'd be willing to do something. That whether you're a tattooless or tattooed, that you're a place that you can come in and that you're loved because we all have the same tribulations, struggles, messes. Whether you're the rock and roll or the techno or the old hymn loving person, you can find a home. Because we all have tribulations, we all have distress, we all have persecution, we all have famine, we all have nakedness. But who's going to separate you from the love of Christ when you have Christ who's died for you? He's given you his love. Nothing can. In fact, the apostles, they went through, look at the suffering they went through. He says, it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. And we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He's describing them. So look at us as an example. God can't, we, Christ still loves us. Don't think you're suffering the things you're going through is because God doesn't love you. Again, he'll turn it all for the good. He wastes nothing. In fact, what he is doing here is he is revealing that God's love enables us to conquer our critics, our sin, our, 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 the powers and more. Notice how he continues on. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, no things present nor things to come. So there's no future thing that's going to come to get us. There's no thing in the past that will come to get us. There's nothing in the powers of the spiritual realm, angels or rulers or powers, no height nor depth nor any. Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're walking in his purpose and you know him fully, you do not have to fear that the gates of heaven will be closed to you. Walk in him, know him, enjoy him, and you will enjoy him for eternity. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. It is yours. And I want you to hear this. Because right now where you're sitting, you're going to take your pen and you're going to take your iPad or whatever you're working with. And you need to write down what you're fearing. What tribulations got you? You're fearing a divorce? You're fearing your child leaving off to college? Are you fearing them returning from college? (laughs) Are you fearing that loss of a job? What's the distress? What's the tribulation? God's love is upon you. You need to write it down right now. What are those things? Write them down. Thank you for staring at me, but grab a pen and write them down. I will wait. Trouble in your marriage? Economic? Are you really fearful of an economy collapse? I know people who are. War. And what I want you to do is I want you to put your hand on it. I want you to bow your head with me. All of us, please. Just pray this with me. God in heaven, you see these things that I fear. You see these things that I am... that I know would destroy me. They're deep. Too deep for me to get under. They're high, too high for me to get over. God, some of these things are in the future and I don't know where they're going. Some of these things are in the past and they're holding me back. I'm scared to step forward because I'm alone. 
or because no one knows. I'm scared of these things being known. I'm scared of these things happening. And yet, God, I'm here to say today that I trust you. I'm here today to say that I believe that you love me, that you gave me Jesus on the cross. You're living in my life to make me a conqueror, more than a conqueror over all these things. I'm doomed by myself, I know it. But with you, I can overcome. Walk me forward. Lead me through. I know you are with me. I know you are for me. God, help me to live my calling, I pray. And to live it knowing that you're never far. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your heads bowed? Some of you in this room this morning, God loves you, but your sin is in the way. Perhaps it's time to hear that God is trying to woo you. He's been telling you about himself this whole time, telling you that he loves you, telling you that he loves you so much that even in the sin and all the dark things that are in your, in your heart, all, all the sexual sin, all the lies, all the anger that you've been harboring, all the bitter thoughts that you've been having, all the gossip you've been spreading, all the things that you've been pocketing, all the drugs you've been involved with. He still loves you. He's given you Jesus Christ to take that. You don't have to clean up and get right. He says, come to me when you're weary and burdened and I'll give you rest. He gives that gift for free because he loves us. So he offers that to you this morning, again, that Jesus Christ would bear the sins and the weight of that sin, the punishment and the destruction that comes with that so that you wouldn't, he got in the way. And he removes the sin so you can have a relationship with your creator, the one who made you and has a purpose for you so that you can walk with him in that way. And so if that's you this morning, you would like to receive that gift to be right with God. I'll give you a chance to do that right now. Would you put your hand up? I would like to give you a chance to pray. And you're just saying, yeah, I want to receive that gift this morning. I'm ready. Awesome. This prayer doesn't save. So it's your heart trusting God that saves. But if you would like, you can follow along in this prayer with me just as a way of kind of expressing your decision. You say, God in heaven, I know that I have sinned. But I trust that Jesus Christ has taken that sin for me. And that you have risen from the dead to give me a new life. Would you come into my life now and lead me forward? I'm ready to have a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.